From a whisper to a roar, our voice has grown in strength and volume. Echoes from our past guide our future as we explore the woman's voice. Well, today I have the beautiful Danielle Snell from Melbourne, and I'm really excited. I met Danielle a couple of months ago on a training program with the gorgeous Anna Lozinski, also from Melbourne. And since then, Danielle and I have been in contact, so I just had to bring her on to join us. Thank you for joining us today, Danielle. Thank you for having me, Lisa. I'm very excited. Yeah, and I was just saying to Danielle, are you in at lockdown? Are you out of lockdown? <laughs> like we're we're all, you know, it's like a tag team in the in the country. It's your turn. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> all right, Danielle, let's get straight to it. And I want to understand who you are and what you're all about. How has your voice led you to be here today? How's my voice led me to be here today? Good question. <laughs> I am. I use my voice to represent other people's voices in court. That's what I do for a living. So I'm a, I'm a litigator. So in court and in court cases. And uh, just speaking of the COVID restrictions, 2020 being in Melbourne, one of the strictest lockdowns in the world. I um I was working for the first time in my legal career. Um, from my home for for most of the year and I happened to be pregnant as well. And I think um, it dawned on me in that time I was working in my own space and I think I was hearing my own inner voice during, during that time that, hang on a minute, it's not just time to represent other people's voices. I need to stand up and use my own voice for my own, based on my personal experiences. And where that comes from is that having worked in the big law firms in Australia, it is just an incredibly toxic environment in a number of these firms whereby uh, it's pervasive with sexual discrimination, bullying, gender discrimination, women that are having babies that are told certain things about what they can and can't do within their career. And I had just had enough of it. And I was pregnant during COVID. So I thought no better time than now to start my own law firm whereby I can stand up for what I believe in and challenge the type of culture that is existing. I mean, the high profile um, stories and um, (laughs) matters that have developed in the media, it's, you know, quite pervasive in terms of parliament. We're talking about obviously entertainment and the law, but the legal sector, the sector that I work in is one of the worst. It's staggering. Something like 36% of women working in the legal sector have experienced sexual harassment. Um, And I think it's disgusting. And the time the time is now to create change. I've just written a page of notes and <laughs> <laughs> everything that you have said and I've got through gone through my head the, the song um, I am woman is just mm. going through me and it's like it's like a you know a play going in the back of me going yes go you <laughs> um, I don't know where to start. I think mm. the first the first thing that I want to ask in amongst that, did you say 37%? 36%. 36. Staggering 36%. Isn't it shocking? Look, it is in in the time that I've been working with the legal 
industry, which really I just stumbled into when I was starting to work with women and their voices. It certainly has changed dramatically, wouldn't you say, in the last five years where there's been a like a an undercurrent of unrest starting to bubble. And I know that the work that I and the conversations that I've had with Anna Lazinski uh, over the years as well um, in that change of very old school thinking, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. primordial thinking in some oh, ways. Like analogue, yeah, like that's right. It is just shocking. And- why? why? Why is this particular field the last field? Is it because it's so top-heavy in men? It is. It's very much, although there are a lot of female solicitors, my thinking of the ultimate re- the reasoning behind why we're, we're back lot, we're lagging behind other industries is because the legal industry is so hierarchical that we are finding, although there's so many females that are now lawyers, I think it might even be more females than males. Mm-hmm. The males are holding those partnership positions. Um, And um, in terms of obviously sexual harassment, it's often the case that the perpetrator will be the senior, there's a there's a real power dynamic that exists there, Lisa. And that's the case across all industries, no doubt. But it's so heavily focused in the legal industry around hierarchy and power and winning and, you know. And it's a definite ladder, isn't it? You definitely come in at one level and you keep climbing, 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 and then at, one, at a certain level women tend to drop off. That's right. And um, talking about tend to drop off, I, I mean, I was told to drop off. I was told. <laughs> I was told when you reach those years, because I, I initially did a journalism degree and so I wanted to share, I wanted to be a journalist, broadcast journalist, so I wanted to share other people's stories and voices by, by way of broadcast journalism, but then I decided to do a law degree and I think it was the fight in me, that, that wanting to represent people mm. and fight for their cause, I ultimately decided to go down the legal route. But um, I started in law when I was out of university, um, you know, 21 years old. And, and you know, it was in, sort of ingrained in me right from day one that when the day comes where you decide to have children, and then as I did, I had my first child three and a half years ago and I was still working within the big companies, I was told you're probably going to need around six odd years to to really have your children, set yourself up with your children, gain that momentum. And during that time, you, you might be able to work and you will be able to work if you choose to, but just be aware that in terms of the big legal cases and those sort of blue chip clients that you might be acting for, they're not really going to be suitable for you anymore because obviously you would be just presuming that I would go to part-time that is. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was quite demoralizing because I thought, so what are you telling me that I just have to count time here. This is just a counting counting time exercise. Obviously, not all women want to take time. A lot of women want to stay connected to the to their workplace. And you know, women, that's I mean, it's beautiful that we can we can have that choice. And for my first child, um, Harper Grace, I did take a year off. Um, and I was really, that's a whole other story I'll tell you about on our next call, but went to Italy where my grandparents were born on a little island and lived 
there for three months and that was one of the best three months of my life. But having now had my second child, I was at a different stage in life where I had worked so incredibly hard for my on my legal practice. I had my clients that I was acting for. I'm acting for, you know, women um, representing their rights in sexual discrimination cases. Um, and I'm on the journey with them. I'm I'm their partner in, in the journey. Um, and the concept of me walking away from my plight and my my the, my work, the, 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 the practice that I've developed over so many years wasn't something that I wanted to do within the confines of the big law firm mm. <laughs> whereby if I step out, I'm going to be, I'm going to encounter all these sort of political and like gender, like ge- genders like and stereotypical um, bias that I wasn't, I just didn't, think was in any way acceptable. And so that's why I decided I need to stand up for this. And of course, when I decided to create my own law firm, when I was seven months pregnant, I had lots of people tell me, you know, that I, that wouldn't be possible either. Mm. Um, and I did it. I was seven months pregnant. I gave birth. I did so with with a very supportive uh, male partner, might I say. He was one of my biggest supporters as a male in my career. And I love when we do um, find often there's a whole other discussion as well. Females can be um, the most critical of one another. It's really females Mm -hmm. on females rather than males. But I, I did it and we started off with myself and my partner and we're now at 10 people within seven months. So I feel incredibly empowered and I'm now using my own voice to spread this message. So one of the questions that's, that I've got coming up is taking time out to have babies. Okay, let's just stop there. Yeah. It is demanding. That's real. We can't, we can't ignore that, okay? And, and, and I think that um, it is a very real thing and concern for any boss oh, yes. to go, yeah. how are you going to deal with this? Because sometimes being a first-time mum, we don't know how we're going to deal with that. So while it is possible, what have you done to ensure that you can do it all? No, I don't think anyone can do it all, Lisa. That's my biggest tip. It's hard. It's incredibly hard. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think support's the my biggest work like factor here. So it, it, you do need support systems around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in terms of my personal life, I obviously have my 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 husband who's willing to step out of those stereotypical um, type roles as well and take, you know, take on um, a, a, quite a lead domestic role um, in circumstances where I think that, and I think that's one of the other positives of COVID, that lots of men were forced to be working from home and, you know, took on that those sorts of responsibilities and actually quite enjoyed the responsibilities not not all obviously but lots of complaints from various um husbands around the place but I do think that um that that's in my personal life then obviously I have I only my my little my youngest is seven months old six turning on to seven months now I have a nanny that does help me out so without that it it just simply wouldn't be possible Mm -hmm. and then within my business responsibilities I mean I'm now a business owner I I've learned that I 
I just can't do it all. So there are all there are various aspects of an entrepreneurial life, and I hire experts within different fields to focus on and assist me with the growth of the company. And then I focus on what I do best and what I'm most passionate about, which is, you know, um, fighting in the courtroom. So when, um, and just going back to that scenario of the boss having that conversation and basically asking you to step down off the ladder, should there be some kind of education or awareness, in fact, of what sort of questions they should be asking. For example, uh, I understand that you want to have children and it's important that I know that you have a support network that's going to be able to allow you to continue working. Is that, you know, how do we get these bosses to be thinking that way? Absolutely. So it is it is tricky because um, where we sit in this day and age in 2021, amid the Me Too movement and all these sorts oh. of things, as employers, um, there are certain laws that we need to abide by in terms of discrimination. And one, one major one is that we cannot discriminate against a woman on the basis of pregnancy or, um, or family planning or anything like that. So when we're conducting interviews with, or with, with, with prospective employees or current employees, not everyone maybe realises this, but we really can't be asking questions that go to their future plans from a from a personal perspective in terms of do you intend to have children? Um, do you um, what do you what do you what do you say about um, what what will happen when you have a baby? Especially as you said, for a first time mother, that that. So do you think do you think this legislation or ruling is actually supporting or hindering? Because you know, if you're not allowed to ask a question and you are a genuinely caring boss that just wants to be assured that, you know, they've got things that they've got to do, they've got to pay wages, they've got to, you know, put roofs over other people's heads. Is this spot on? Spot on. So it it I think what it does is it creates a, a scare. Uh, element from the employer that it almost um, promotes this culture of silence. And when I say culture of silence, often people speak about the culture within the sexual discrimination part, but no, it's also culture of silence within these sorts of planning discussions about and want, what do you, because, you know, it's just assumed that a woman, for example, might not want to be contacted when she goes off to have a baby. But in actual fact, many women are there at the home with their baby feeling quite isolated Mm. and would love love nothing more than in some way to be connected to their, to their work, workplace. So I, I do, think that the the laws around discrimination do hinder the the sort of opening of the conversation but I think there's also reason for that because people can take advantage and as you can appreciate a woman that say is a you know coming up to her childbearing you know years of 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 sort of within that demographic if she was going into a whole raft of interviews and being like being asked that question you can imagine that that would be quite daunting for her and um you know she she's under no legal obligation to divulge that information Mm, where I think it's more helpful is where you've worked for someone for a great deal of time and you have not duration's not not necessarily the 
critical factor, but you've established a, a relationship of trust um, with your manager or your boss where you you can have that conversation. And what I would um, what I would suggest to any women that may be in this situation that are listening to this podcast now is if you have that relationship of trust, you you can approach your boss yourself and 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 start that conversation going and communicate to your boss that you're happy to talk about these things and you want you know you want to go down that path of working out an action plan plan in if you were about go about to have a baby um because certainly if you trigger it and you instigate that conversation um yeah it can it can with it, it, it within the right dynamic that is because I, d- I certainly don't want to be seen to be <laughs> like giving legal advice particularly to women that are working within law firms because I know firsthand that these sorts of conversations can backfire um, and can cause problems if they're not being had with the right type of person um at ie all right so i so whether you know as much as you can how do we or how do these women identify that that person is indeed someone that they can open up that conversation to so i think instinct is so important you know that feeling of when you're in a room and someone's standing next to you and they might have spoken words to you or they might not have and you just you just have this internal feeling inside yourself as to you know some alarm bells or you might you might not be feeling completely yourself in their presence that can that to me can often be a signal that there's a there's a lack of that, that, that there's a there's a lack of uh, trust there. And it's not necessarily that that person has done anything to you to breach that trust. It's just that there's something in the dynamic there that doesn't make you feel completely safe as a person. And there's nothing more there's nothing more powerful than your instinct when it comes to whether or not you're in a safe environment. And I guess that really feeds into my own personal story because I was working in these law firms for so long and I had all these internal voices within my mind um, based on my, because you're a product of your environment. So I had all of these you know, grey-headed senior men around me and they were all putting in, like, their own views on me and indoctrinating me as to not only to do with what what my future career path would look like but also my what my talents were and how good I was at what I do um, or, how, or how, you know, not good I was at what I do and constantly being judged, this constant and criticism you know, criticism, um, you know, every single piece of writing that you might make or communication you might have with someone. And so it dawned on me that these voices were muffling Mm -hmm. my own vision and my own voice. And I had to stand up and rise above that. And then as soon as I did that and I backed myself, my own voice is as is as clear is as clear to me as it ever has been um and 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 it feels as strong as it ever has been so you know i think that 
Um, can I can I ask you? Um, have you always had that that clarity in your own internal voice? No, absolutely not. That's 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 what I um, was meaning when I was saying within. I think that environment and culture is so important. And so when I was working in culture and environments that were not very healthy for me, I was not. I was not confident in myself. My, I was, I, I was, I was not confident in other amazing female talent that was working around me that I could see that they were the most talented of lawyers. I could see their confidence levels just reducing day by day by day. Um, and it wasn't until I was outside of that environment um, and within an environment where I had the support, the type of support systems that I was talking about before, um, that I was able to grow and really achieve that clarity. What about your your childhood and your teenage years? Were you encouraged to have a voice and be heard? Yes, I was. And the reason for that was I grew up, and I think it's so interesting that you've delved into that territory. I grew up with a entrepreneurial mother. And so she was a business owner and she would, you know, um, she actually worked in the travel industry. So she would travel the world and, um, and, and that was quite an exciting, um, exciting business. But I grew up kind of watching her and, realizing that you know she she was look, look, look looking at her thinking you're amazing like you can do this um admittedly she did do it when my sister and I were a bit older in our life that compared to what I'm doing right now like we were we were in our teenage years so I have memories of my father picking us up from birthdays and my mother was still very much present but my 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 father would take on that sort of role of cooking for us or um picking us up from parties and and that sort of thing and I did go through a number of years where I I did feel like I wanted my mum around more and I felt that level of abandonment and um not that she was abandoning me by any way she was a very nurturing loving mother and it's a funny story and my husband can probably hear me as I as I say this now but I when I met my husband and his mother was became my mother-in-law and she was completely opposite to my mother in that she had she's a beautiful woman and had had three children and had chosen not to work effectively during those years and be this beautiful, nurturing, giving mother and would do absolutely everything. And I, and I loved that because I felt like this war, I felt like it was the mother that I didn't have, but then it dawned on me (laughs) that, oh my goodness, it made me appreciate my mother even more. And the fact that I was able to watch her do that during my younger years, which without doubt um, compelled me to take the steps that I did in terms of my professional life. And that's, and that's exactly why I asked you the question because was it your family that was Italian or is it your husband's my family? Your family. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's an interesting story too, that <clears throat> for an Italian family that your father was taking a lot of the 
more uh, divine feminine role that, mm-hmm. that we we know traditionally, and that and that your mum because that's that's flipped uh, mm-hmm. for what most Italian framework is. But you had a a strength and a, and a role model in your mom and, and you had an environment where you knew what it was like to, to have a voice. So your vocal muscle was strong, but what about the women that, and that's why you could actually identify, I think, when you were in that environment in the workspace where you go, all this noise that's going on in my head is against who I know who I am. Mm. What about the women who haven't got that foundation behind them, who haven't got that strength? Uh, how do they navigate their way out of it? Because this is where that piece of I don't have a voice I'm not being heard and that unconscious bias in themselves can come in and so it's a compounding problem how do women navigate their way out of that talk to people that you think might have that voice that you you know people that you might admire or um you know again that trusted sort of relationship there are also amazing reading materials there are coaches like yourself that are incredible in terms of talking to you about how to use your voice and how to best exert your, you know, your, your presence. And, um, you know, so like think about who those sorts of mentors might be in your life and really draw on them and their experiences. And if they're the right kind of person and you've got that right dynamic between you whether or not it's it's someone that you can physically be in a room with or that you're reading about their experiences um it I think that's a good starting point um because and it's really amazing how you might feel so far away from it now but you know you you read that first book or you you speak to that first person and then it is just there will be this moment where it just might click in your mind and so something might happen which you stand up for yourself in one you know very short meeting at work or you you know something and then all of a sudden you are just you know, you feel this whole sense of um, rejuvenation and, um, you know, it all it all then sort of starts to become clearer from there. I think that women tend to try and do it all on their own and you've mentioned, you know, you've got to have a support network and I know in my world I could not have gotten through many of life's obstacles had I not had an incredible support network and that, that might... A lot of the time it wasn't just my family while the family was there. But I had a team of experts, as you mm-hmm. said, that I would go to and I, I learned how to identify what it was specifically that I needed mm-hmm. and then I'd go to that support person uh, that was going to help me navigate their way through that who are some of the people that you would recommend, you know, you've mentioned reading, but who else is out there that people could connect to? So, yeah, just on that point, I I've, you would have likely heard other people give this advice that it's nice to have what you would deem to be your own personal board of directors. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's helpful to, to, you know, have a bit of a map and think about your company structure, so to say, and so to speak. And actually everyone's has strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, if you've got a support group and you know, as you said, the team of experts where you know what their expertise in 
or, you know, it might not be an actual piece of expertise, but it might be that you you have this friend that's just incredible at remembering things <laughs> and she's incredible at being able to kind of, or maybe she's incredible at being able to confront people and just call them out on things and kind mm. of talk to people about things that are worrying her. And you've seen that she's been able to do that firsthand. And you're like, so okay, she should be my one on my board on my board. And she's going to be around that that umbrella of confrontation. Mm. How can I best stand up for myself in that? And and so yeah, I think I mean for me personally, I had my own board of directors, um, and 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 it was a selection of females and males. Um, and ironically, they weren't a lot of the time. It's not professionals, so to speak. It's not. It weren't. They weren't lawyers. I'm. I'm obviously a lawyer, but they're people in life that can just give you those life lessons um um and yeah from all walks of life I think it's a bit like bringing it back to the legal thing it's a bit like a jury (laughs) and a jury represent a cross-section of the community and there's no better you know there's no better group to adjudicate on something than a cross-section you want you want as wide and diverse of a viewpoint as possible, which is why juries consist of a group of people. And so that's sort of what you want on your board. You want, you know, someone that's good at this, someone that's good at that, you know, um, and different sorts of maybe Mm. gender backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, um, you know, people that have come from different you know, parts like experienced adversity in their life in different ways. Um, yeah, I think that that's like. And I know that uh, there's a there's a lady here who I've done some work with in Australia called Janine Garner, and she has a few books on leadership. I can't think of the actual name right now, but she's worth looking up because she has a fantastic model on exactly what we're talking about. You know, we're not just saying this for the sake of it but it really is a a thing that you need to create is that that board of directors are not quite literally but (laughs) it is it is your team of support people that are going to help guide you through that and navigate through that Uh, because sometimes uh, we can get emotionally distraught and and get too involved in things and not see the forest for the trees that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I watched on, I think it's on Stan. Um, I just came across it, um, being being Serena the other day, which was mm-hmm. a tennis um, Serena, and it was a documentary around, I mean, this global worldwide tennis superstar who fell pregnant. Um, it resonated with me, obviously, because of my own story, but fell pregnant when she was at the peak of her career in that she just won um world championship and what she did from that point at that that moment that she realized in the bathroom that she was pregnant um and how she navigated through that and i i found it to be quite inspiring and an incredible watch um yeah as i say because it resonated with my with well my- i'll put that down on my on my <laughs> on my sunday watching list <laughs> uh Danielle, how do you feel your life experiences have affected the tone of your voice? 
I think that because of what I do for a living, that my tone of voice, you know, in in terms of the courtroom, like we're advocates, we need to get up and it's a bit like, and I think when I first met you, Lisa, and we had a chat, that resonated with me because we were talking about how we use our voice and, you know, you you said something and I went, oh, but that's more theatrical. That's more in the like drama world, right? Like in the media world. And you're like, no, that's actually what you do. You are, you are like a theatre production in the courtroom. In the courtroom, it's absolutely theatre, 100%. (laughs) And you're quite right. I think, and this is where there's a bit of a contract, like because the legal system is so strict and when you enter a courtroom you bow and we're governed by the rules of court and it's quite a sort of strict environment in the courtroom um it's a bit of a contrast because in actual fact when you're standing up on your feet in the courtroom you are you're advocating you're 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 performing uh, according to the rules of law that is and so it was just a really interesting dynamic it was a really interesting perspective for me to see it at. So thank you for that. <laughs> that was, um, but, um, yeah, your question was how my voice. Life experiences have affected the tone of your voice. Yeah, and so I think because of that and the fact that I have to use my voice in that, you know, way, whereas then I might be the ne- I might be in court one day, but then the next day I might be in a mediation where I'm trying to resolve a dispute that involves two people and it's the most traumatic experience that you know either people have for example gone through in their life and so as you can imagine my voice tone needs to be very different um, to try and engage in healthy discussion and sort of a, a way in which the parties can start not just seeing their own position but start seeing the perspective of the other person um and so my life my life I experience yeah I think have very much been governed around the tone that I use is very focused towards where my work and Mm. and sort of the sort of forum I'm in at work Mm. can I ask you uh from a family perspective and growing up in an Italian family and I and I because being an opera singer, I've been around many Italians over the years in training and that was the birthplace really of opera. Okay, yeah. I know that growing up in an Italian family generally, it's usually a little bit louder than the average family. <laughs> and and uh, this is to your benefit um, because your strength in your instrument we're talking purely from a physiological perspective. Mm. Your strength in your instrument, you are, are enabled and given that mm. permission and encouraged, in fact, to speak up loud. And I know I, you know, came from a typical Anglo-Saxon family where it was, it was pretty encouraged, but it was also there was lots of other rules and regulations around it. But my strength was I grew up on a farm. Mm. And so I was always calling out to the the animals and projecting my voice. And that's where my physical strength came from. Do you see that as a different point in that your voice, your natural voice right now is very, very strong and that would support you in the courtroom, would you say? 
absolutely. I, absolutely. I love that you've just given me that perspective as well. And um, so that's why I'm so happy I'm sitting here right now. <laughs> no one's ever given me that perspective of that Italian heritage helping me find my voice. And yeah, it's often the case that, you know, I, I it was in my, in my household. I, I didn't grow up in the sort of, I guess, tr- average household in the sense that, as I was saying about my mum and all of that, but definitely the projection of our voices. My, my father tends to speak very loud and very high um, and I was, was must have been that I had to, you know, I was, well, I was encouraged to, but I also had to speak at that level in order to, you know, project. To be heard. To be heard within my yeah. Um, and then and you're also, can I also point out there, that's a really great point. You had to project your voice to actually be heard in the family environment. And that wasn't discouraged. Now that supports you because you're very used to in mm-hmm. those situations where you do need to be heard, where you're not afraid to then project the voice, which is a v- very different feeling for you. And you possibly don't 100% identify with it or understand it that it's a feeling that you've got to get used to oh these people in the room are not actually hearing me without becoming a bitch without (laughs) screaming i just need to ramp up the energy here a little bit and i know that the times that i've been at the you know italian homes on a sunday night and they're all all together and having dinner you know it's it's quite overwhelming because everyone's you're thinking oh they're yelling but they're not no, they're not. So do, do you see what I'm talking about where where our actual upbringing in the typical Anglo-Saxon um, household is very different to the Europeans? And I see it time and time and time again over the years that my European clients are far more connected with their voices. and, and mm, That is so interesting. That is so interesting. What about, Lisa, your perspective of lawyers? Because lawyers generally charge in six-minute intervals and mm. what that means is that we're extremely time-focused. It's all about the time, the time. And what I found, and I don't think this is a good thing, and this is one thing I've really had to work on um, myself, is to not um, speak over someone and not speak, I guess I would never speak over someone in a, you know, in a disrespectful type of manner. But what I mean more is, is that in everyday conversation and then someone's, you know, they haven't quite finished what they what they want to say and then I'll just jump in. And the reason for that is because I'm thinking, I'm thinking about, okay, then I've got that, 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 and I'm looking at my task list because it's so, um, it's so time and task focused what I'm doing. Um, and I just think that that's, I've seen it. It can cause a toxic environment as well within the within the big law firms and within lawyers because people are not actually listening to one another carefully and like uh, you know because of that rush, so to speak, and kind of changes the dynamic. I was speaking to one of my employees the other day, and she said she's worked in law firms, and she said just the social etiquette of in a law firm walking into an office and not doing like the chitter chatter before or talking about something and then just like walking straight out um, can kind of lead to dynamic where there's not much, it's very machine-like. Mm. Mm. And 
What's your What's your perspective on voice? Look, I, and I certainly hear what you're saying, and and I've had experiences with you know going to lawyers and and engaging with them uh, to defend uh, different scenarios. So I understand that it's definitely on the on the clock. There's there's a couple of different dynamics that's going on in that moment, and I think the first one is is for the client to understand that the lawyer is not your counsellor. And so... uh, And this is is a classic example of coming back to your support team. Mm -hmm. You need to be very clear on who is your counsellor, okay? Who is the person that you're going to go and get stuck in story with? You're going to go and pour your heart out and go, it's not fair and I don't understand and I don't know how to... process through this, et cetera, et cetera, because they're skilled to navigate you through that psychologically um, so that you can get onto the other side. So I think from a, from a client perspective, you need to identify what is the conversation that I'm going to go in here with and also what is the outcome that I want. Um, so that's from the client's perspective so that they don't take offence. Okay, from the lawyer's perspective, so that they don't come across as being very austere and very cutthroat, I think that it's very easy to walk into that room and hold your energy in a different space and hold the space for the person who's usually fearful, who's usually very upset, uh, confused in many cases, doesn't understand the legal system. So that compassion space is very, very important. And you can do that through body language, facial expressions. It doesn't necessarily have to be verbal communication. It doesn't have to be on the clock, okay? So you go in there, and I'm going to use a little bit of woo-woo hippie here. You go in there with an open heart space to go, I understand that this this is what this person needs and I have to navigate them through very, very quickly and efficiently with compassion. And so that, that comes back to the intention behind the sound that you're about to create. Okay, what is the intention? The intention is that you want to make this person feel safe and you do that through nuances, inflections and what the outcome focus is for you on where you want to get them in that six-minute increment. Absolutely, absolutely. I think a lot of lawyers can totally disregard the compassionate space and it's just a transaction and that's very much another reason why I wanted to start my own firm because we, we're honoured when, when someone asks us to represent them because it is often one of the most traumatic, you know, events or experiences that they'll have in their life and so a hundred percent we are lawyers and that's what our job is there to do, but we're not there to be a complete, you're on the, we'll be on, on the journey with you. We're not there to be completely transactional. I mean, we're all people, right? And so it's very much about that journey rather than lawyers are always focused on the win and the outcome Mm. and the end point. But what about the actual journey for that Mm. And that's involved in it. I mean, this is this can be their life. This is their company. This well, is well. I think you know you're really talking about, and and this is the space that you've gone into in the last seven months. Is you're talking about what is the value system? Hmm. You know, what is the culture that I want to create? And I, and I would suggest 
that you're really creating a culture of the 21st century, you know, the 2020s, I call them the roaring 20s because we're really, it's so interesting that we're quite, we're mirroring in a lot of ways what happened in 1920s mm-hmm. to what's happening in, in the 2020 and that there's this huge shift and change what happened after World War One. There's this breakout of music and breakout of new um, fashion and break. There's so many changes that happened and I can see that happening again and I would come back to you've got an opportunity and 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 I think that to other women that are listening today you have an opportunity to move into this era and create the new culture that you want to create you don't have to follow the old model of what law is and we know that there's legislations we know that there's rulings but within that you can still be a human being and I think that's the bottom line yeah, 100%. That's that's so important. We are going to run out of time and I think that you and I could chit-chat for hours, so maybe we'll have you back on another time. Um, do you feel that women are still apologising for being in the conversation at those uh, important table meetings? Yes, I do, which is, I think, unfortunate but I think it's this is not just going to snap and we're all going to be in a progressive new aged environment this is a lot of years of this sort of culture and and the indoctrination and the you know the culture of the environments that we've been working in um and it come. It doesn't come with a quick fix, and so you know. It, it's, you do have to take action, don't you? Absolutely, and you know, so my own girl, and 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 seeing, thinking about what she'll grow up to, you know, experience in the future. I mean, um, I have to make sure after this call that I'm, you know, making sure all of the Italian culture is coming into my household. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I know my daughter's been so influenced by every nationality on the planet. When she was young, she had this really quirky accent because, and I looked at her one day and went, why do you have such a quirky accent? And then I realized she's surrounded by Italians and Armenians and Russians and everything. So now she's got her own very Australian accent, but she's she's very appreciative of the strength that comes through and the influence that comes through from the European uh, way of life. How would you recommend that women reconnect to their voices today? I think use it, you know, to make a small step for yourself and think about where, what, what sort of a situation could I use my voice that I'd be pushing myself a bit that would actually make me feel a bit of release, a bit of, (laughs) it would, it would, you know, give me that release and think about, it might just be a small, in a small way, it could be in a more, you know, important way (laughs) or, you know, quite significant um, manner, but think about, write it down if you need to, but think about how you could use your voice in a way that you're not using it at the moment. And then actually work out how you could play that out, you know, in terms of so, you know, that's a bit what I did. I mean, this is what how I want to use my voice and what is the best vehicle by which to 
to to use it, spread the message that I want to spend, spread. And I realized I'm not going to be able to spread this message working for an organization that doesn't align with the, their values, don't align with my values. So the only way of doing this, it's going to be hard because I'm pregnant, I'm about to go into the hospital and all that, but I'm going to do it by starting my own organize that firm and that way I can use my voice in the way that aligns with my values and also represent individuals um, that you know resonate with my voice and want someone acting for them that actually holds the values that I do. I think that you're talking talking twofold. Uh, we're talking the internal voice and your belief system, and you're also talking about the physical voice. And I and I just like to add, Deb, that for the ladies who are listening, and we've touched into the physical strength that is in your voice because of your upbringing and your heritage. And I do encourage one of the things that uh, really helps you connect to your voice, so that you can feel your voice, is go out and have some fun and I and I literally mean go out and play in the field throw the ball my my big thing again because I grew up on a farm is I love going to my my property my rural property and I go and I call my horses and I'm not going to project my voice into the microphone because I'll blow your eardrums off but I forget because when I go out and I take visitors with me and I'll start suddenly hollering to my horses and it's a big sound and it projects out there and it's just a and it's a fantastic feeling because I can and I feel empowered by going out there and just feeling the strength that you have in your physical voice by having fun and projecting and playing with your children is going to start to connect to your voice in ways that you don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to Italy once and I was in Venice and there's this man, just, you know, any normal man walking down the street singing, I don't know, it was something like, oh, so let me or, and, yeah. and I was just like, who sings like that? Yeah. And that's when it really dawned on me. I went, oh, the Europeans generally can sing really well because they've used their voice physically since the day they were born and they were encouraged to use their voice. So that physical strength component is really important. Again, I've taken over. (laughs) I've been really interested before we end off. So my grandfather, who was Italian, had six brothers and they were born in Italy and they were all musicians, Lisa. And so they would lived on this island in Italy and they do all of the the concerts on the islands and for people's christenings and all that sort of thing. And my uncle then and the children in, that are now in Australia became musicians as well. I I grew up with music as a result, but I always resonated with dancing because I didn't I didn't have a well I was never sought out singing classes. I should have met you way back when. <laughs> I I just I just danced, and so when you talked about going out and having fun and going out in the park, I also would say that. You know, I mean, voice projection is incredibly important, but even just moving around, moving expression, physical expression, yeah, your body and the movement. And I love listening to music and hearing a another person sing. And I'd love to hear your some of your um, work, Lisa. And then 
and then actually moving to that and feeling the like real the rhythm within that. And I think often a release for me. Yeah, and I think that's what we were talking about before about going into the room and actually using your body to express a different emotion so that you can communicate that compassion through that. And again, um, Italians tend to use their hands a lot, right? <laughs> we know we know how you're feeling because you're using your hands. So that's a very natural thing, and I think that you've you've really hit on something there that just going out and having a bit of a boogie um, as an adult and you know you ask an adult who's very serious in the courtroom or a serious lawyer when was the last time you went and had fun and most of them will go and the first thing I say well how are you connecting to your creative side? Because you have to be creative to be a lawyer. You have to have created strategies on how you approach a particular case, right? Mm-hmm. So the more that you can go and have that freedom and that expression is going to only enhance what happens in that courtroom or in that That's right. Not only creative strategies, but you have to be connected because you have to connect to your client. You have to connect to the judge. You have to connect. And so in order to have connection, you need to be connected to yourself. And and what a great way to finish. You've come all the way back around. You've got to connect to yourself. And that is absolutely my my message. And look, it's been an absolute joy to have you here today. And uh, I think that everyone's really going to enjoy listening to your podcast. I am going to make sure that we've got all of your links so that people can connect with you and your fantastic new law firm. Very much. (laughs) I would just say that um, for anyone that's experiencing any, like with amid the Me Too and all of that sort of thing, if anyone that's experiencing anything that they do feel like it would be helpful to seek out some legal advice, we do offer no charge case reviews. So often someone might have an issue that they have already even seen a lawyer about or they've been thinking about it and they just don't know what sort Mm -hmm. of, where the, the angle and they it can often be quite a first step to make that call and um, if you've listened to today's session I think you you know one of the bits that I'm proud of is that I'm quite approachable and yes. so by all means if if you know if you do hear this and you, you, there's some sort of an issue that I might be able to help you with um, please feel free to pick up the phone and um, I'll, I'll absolutely listen to your voice. Oh thank you Danielle that's fantastic and I'm sure our listeners will be in touch if they need you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining me today to strengthen your voice. You want to be heard and you deserve to be heard. We're here to make sure that the woman's voice is heard. I'm Lisa Lachlan-Bell and together we are The Woman's Voice. Thanks to our official sponsor, The Voice Draw. For more information on your voice, go to thewomansvoice.com.au.